Chicago's finest internet radio show, making a world a better place, one show at a time. The George Water Jr. Show is now on the air. Take it away, Dad. All 
All right, we're finally on the air, folks. All right, welcome to the Bush Wilder Jr. Show. This is February, folks, 2018. February, ain't that something? The year is going by pretty fast. Just one month and just the second month into 2018 here at the, at the um, recording and uh, um, podcast of this show, it is. But the shows can be, I mean, thanks. I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast after the show is uh, uh, over and, and processed. And uh, it's in it's it's on this website. It's in the archives. It's there. Every show that I've done since I have been a part of Block the Block Talk Radio family, every show that I've done, it's right here. I mean, it's right here. I, you know, you can listen to any show at any time. It doesn't matter if it was if it was recorded two years ago. It still rings true for what's going on today. You know, so. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for podcasting. And thank you for all of your, um, as always, all of your accolades, uh, uh, everything that you say about the show, whether it's positive or negative. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy negative feedback because that helps me to try and get better. You know, but try not to be too negative, all right? Uh, but anyway, uh, for those who are positive about the show, like the show, and, you know, say nice things about the show, congrats to you. I mean, it's 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 a great show. I think it is because I've been doing it a long time and I've gotten a lot better. I mean, because when I first started doing this show, I used to have all kind of paper in front of me, you know, uh, 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 topics, you know, to talk about. But now, you know, I'm so used to doing the show and I love doing the show. I don't have any kind of <laughs> I don't have any kind of paper or preparations or anything written down. You know, I just uh, come in, get on the mic and start doing the show. And that's the, I do produce the show. I have to tell you folks, I produce the show. A lot of people call in and, and they'll email me, Georgia, uh, uh, we would like to talk to your producer. And I always end up saying, I am the producer. <laughs> I do everything, you know. Uh, and I've said this before, one of the reasons why I do everything is because I can. Because why pay someone to do something for yourself when you can do it? Why pay someone thousands of dollars to do something that you can do? I don't need anybody to, to help me prepare this show. I can do it myself. I don't need anybody to help me to find guests when I can do that myself. You know, I don't need anybody to prepare. I'm not saying producers are good to have. If, if you have a, a big thing going on, producers are very, very good to have. They are, they're, they're great assets. But for for the George Wilder Jr. show, I'm the producer and the director. I'm also the host. It's a lot of work, folks. It's a lot of work, but it, but it's fun. I like it because I enjoy doing it. And I'll say this uh, to all my listeners out there: if you can do things for yourself, do it. Do not pay anybody to do anything for you. I've seen, I've heard so many writers say that they go out and hire editors to edit their uh, writings. I, I do my own editing. You know, I, I make sure it's up to par before I publish it, you know. So I have had editors in the past and their work, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying all editors are bad. I'm just saying that my editor, this particular editor was pretty awful. And that's when I learned to trust, start doing myself because I don't trust too many people to do anything for me. Only, the only way I feel 
as if I can get anything done. I have to do it myself. As long as I'm capable of doing, wearing all these hats that I do wear, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm not going to pay someone to, to edit my work or be the producer of this show and they end up doing shoddy work and I get blamed for it. If I'm going to get blamed for shoddy work, then let me get blamed for shoddy work that I personally had a hand in. You know, so I always say this to folks, if if you can do things in your life for yourself, do it. If you don't need an editor for your book, if I, I can, you know, tell people how to edit their books. You don't need an editor because uh, unless you, you know, unless you really have to have one. If you think that you can't write or you without an editor, by all means, go find an editor. But find a good one. Find one that's going to really make your work shine. Because there's too many editors out there. They don't give a damn about your work. They just want you to pay them. You know, because I, I let me talk about my editor. I had an editor once. Um, and this guy or girl, I think it was a guy. It was such a long time ago. Because uh, I actually do my ed- own editing and formatting and all that kind of thing. I mean, I, I looked over his work. I saw all kinds of mistakes. I saw all kinds of symbols, uh, uh, things injected into my work that I did not put there. You know, and I, I, I told the publisher, I said, I don't want this published. Don't put this out here because people are blaming me for something uh, that I paid an editor to do, or you yourself. Sometimes the publishers will find an ed- ed- editor for you. And I'm hearing that a lot of the editors, that some of the publishers that will find for you to edit you, they don't know anything about editing. <laughs> it might be better now. I don't know. But anyway, I'm just saying that I try to do everything I can for myself. If I can't do um, certain things for myself, then I will, I will not even start a project. You know, uh, if I can edit my own work, I will not write. You know, I, it, you know it's not going to happen because I'd rather do things for myself and that way I'll know it'll get done right. And if I get criticism uh, from someone who reads my material and says, George, there's something here that's wrong, there's something there that's wrong, then I'll go back and take a look at it. And if I think I need to make changes, I will. I don't need to have an editor uh, to do that uh, when I can do it. I don't need to be paying someone to do that when I can do it for myself. So I'm just basically saying, once again, if you can do things for yourself, do them. You know, I mean, you've got people who've been writers for years, and they don't know the first thing about editing or how to edit, something that they should learn. You know, and there's a lot of... Uh, people out here preying on writers, scamming writers, because they know one of the things a writer wants to do with their work, they want to see their work in print. So you have a lot of these folks out here saying they're going to do this for a writer, they're going to do that for your writer, they're going to promote your stuff, they're going to give you publicity, they're going to advertise it. All you got to do is send them a thousand bucks. Try to stay away from scams like that. Everybody, I mean, every writer, every author loves what they do. And there are scammers out there who know that. They know you love what you do. That's why they're going to try to, you know, infiltrate the, your, their, their way into your uh, writing and try to scam you out of money. 
Only anyway, do things for yourself if you can. If not, then hey, go out and get an editor. It's up to you. But the George Wilder Jr. Show, <laughs> we don't need editors or producers because I do everything myself. The moment I can't do it anymore, then you know it's over. Anyway, welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. It's six twelve p.m. straight up Chicago time. I'm in my wonderful studio here, folks, and it's beautiful. And it's dark outside. And then, that's a bummer, isn't it? I can't wait till daylight savings time. time. There's always that argument about... Uh, I don't think there should be a daylight savings time. I really don't. I think days should last as long as the hell is possible. You want to be outside. You don't want to see it dark at 3.30 or 4 o'clock. I mean, you want to be outside enjoying yourself. The sun is out there and, uh, you know, whatever... But now, now it's wintertime, so we don't want to be outside. It's cold. And they're talking about, at least in the city of Chicago, they're talking about more snow on top of snow, but n- not that much accumulation. <laughs> Free talk and commentary on the George Wilder Jr. show. Hate has no home here. Uh, be nice to one another out there. If you do try, if you do not try to tell the truth about yourself, how can you tell the truth about anybody else? All right, um, what do we have here? Okay, like, like as I was saying at the beginning, it, it's Black History Month. And there are so many school-aged children out here. High school, grammar school, they do not know much about Black History Month or Black slavery or slavery. That's a shame. I think one of the reasons why people, kids, uh, don't know, do not know much about slavery today in the 21st century, in 2018, 21st century, 2018, is because I don't think too many schools in America teach history. And if they are te- teaching history, they're only teaching uh, a little. American students aren't learning the full truth about slavery. Students off, often get only a superficial view of the atrocity that built this country, you know, and, and, and that's a shame. I mean, um, there's kids going to school now, grammar school, high school, and barely getting any learning from if at all, from uh, history in general. History in general. American students are being taught an inadequate and often sanitized version of history when it comes to, when it comes to slavery. Yeah. And uh, it's a shame. It's a shame. I mean, most of the teachers and the principals in the classroom, they're teaching uh, subjects that uh, governments want them to teach. I mean, you've got some uh, classrooms within the United States, they don't even give out homework anymore. They, give, they don't even give reading assignments. A lot of these kids can't even read because uh, at least read to the point where they can get the main idea of what they're reading, comprehend what they're reading. That's not happening. There's no homework assignments. There's no reading assignments coming home from school anymore. 
And in some schools, they don't even have textbooks anymore. Computers maybe, but not textbooks. I think, as a parent, I think all children, public schools, private schools, parochial schools, whatever, I think they all should have homework, reading assignments, something to do once they get out of school. Because most kids, when they get out of school, they, they come home, change clothes, drop their book bag, and they're out the door. If they had homework, you know, parents would probably say you can't go anywhere until you get your homework done. No, But nowadays, they don't have homework, they don't have books, they don't have anything to keep them in the house, they don't have no studying whatsoever. They come home, they drop their books, and they're gone again. And that's, I, I do think that um, children, I mean, students in some of these grammar schools, even in private schools, are getting an inadequate education. How to have a great education, it's up to the parents to, to teach their kids. But I understand that a lot of parents themselves who don't know too much about uh, anything because they were a part of the... Uh, wave of students who gotten an inadequate education from the public school system. So there is no doubt about that. And that's why, you know, I think there's a lot of people in America who are just uh, undereducated because of the school system. A lot of people drop out of school, to drop out of grammar school. I've seen I've seen uh, students actually, kids actually drop out of grammar school. I didn't think that was possible. I thought it was always high school, kids uh, dropping out of high school. But this is a grammar school. Yeah, um, kindergarten on up to eighth grade. Between that, kids are dropping out of high school, dropping out of grammar school. I'm sorry. But anyway, uh, there's no doubt about it. Kids are getting an inadequate education in America, I think. Uh, and we're going to have to uh, address that. That's going to have to be talked about, but not with this administration. It's not going to be talked about because we have the president, <laughs> Donald Trump, who seems like he, he needs a better education. So, And we have uh, uh, Betsy DeVos, uh, Secretary of Education, a Republican, and she's trying to um, undo or get rid of public education altogether. So these folks don't care anything about education. I mean, it's about money. It's about money, lining their pockets and building a wall. That's something. We've got so many problems in America, and all these people can think about is building a wall. You know. So American students aren't learning the full truth about slavery. They're going to either have to do it on their own and um, or maybe it will not happen because, as I just got through saying, a lot of these kids don't even have history books. And if they did have history books, it would probably be tainted or some of the things will be redacted. 
I do think that the government is trying to keep things from children. They're trying to indoctrinate children with whatever. I was hearing a long time ago that Republicans were uh, were going to, going to start writing the history books the way they want the history to be written. You know, that's never going to happen. But there's no doubt about it. Their kids are getting an inadequate education. I even told some teachers this myself. I, I've told a few teachers, a few principals and directors of some of these schools that I do think kids are getting an inadequate education. They're not getting a good education. Lo and behold, some of these educators agreed with me. However, they didn't want to go too far because they did not want to lose their jobs. But since I don't work for the educational, <laughs> since I don't work, work for the educational department, I can say anything I want. And they silently agreed with me, Mr. Wilder. Yeah, you're right. Some of the kids are not getting a proper education like they used to, like it used to be. And that could be anything from budget cuts, uh, people just not giving a damn. Uh, you know, it, it could be that. And uh, if you want your kid to get a real-rounded education, it's better for the parents if they have the educational fortitude to do so to teach their own children teach the children uh teach your children what they're not getting from their schools if you want a well-rounded uh uh an adult as your child grows all right you've been listening to the uh, george wilder jr show on blog talk radio at 621 straight up chicago time I'm in my wonderful studio and just relaxing and taking it easy. Right now, we have no guests that's going to be on the show. I didn't book anybody for today. So we're just having free talk. Just free talk until the show is over. (laughs) All right. We're going to – wait a minute. Wait a minute. We may have a few people calling in, so don't dismay. All righty. We're going to do this. If you would like your product, service, or your book to be mentioned on the George Wilder Jr. Show twice a day, four days a week, (laughs) right here on the George Wilder Jr. Show, just email the show or email its host for more details. Thank you. Let me talk to Donald Trump and explain to him that as President of the United States, he represents blacks and Jewish people and Hispanics and people of every color and every creed. And it is his job as President of the United States to stand up for each and every American, to stand up vertically against racism and bigotry. Peddling to racism is just as bad as being a racist. So Donald Trump is either a racist or he's peddling to it, and both are frankly unacceptable and make him unfit to be president of the United States. If you can't be president, if you cannot stand up and represent Americans, you should not be president. And to my party, to the Republicans who are speaking out today, my question is, what the hell took you so long? When someone shows you who they are the first time, believe them. For too long, Republicans in Congress, elected leaders, have looked the other way while a misogynist, racist, bigoted pig is in the White House. Let me tell you, we cannot capitulate the office of the presidency of the United States. We cannot capitulate moral clarity. We cannot capitulate 
principles. We cannot capitulate Republican values and American values. No piece of legislation, no bone that he may throw on policy, no regulation is worth cheapening the office of the United States this way. It is breaking us apart. It is not news that's breaking us apart. It is the president of the United States who is causing this news. So Republicans need to stand up, need to grow a spine, and need to reject him. They don't, I'm tired of hearing Republicans say they're disappointed and disturbed by something he says. You know what? When he invites you to the White House, don't yeah. go. When he invites you to dinner, don't go. Do not stand next to him until he starts behaving in a presidential manner. Go. And if he can't, you've got to confront him over and over. Joe, uh, David mentioned your piece in this morning's Washington Post, uh, which you titled, quote, I asked Trump a blunt question. Do you read? And you wrote in part, quote, we are a nation that spent the past 100 years inventing the modern age, winning World War I, defeating Hitler, winning World War II, and liberating half of Europe by beating the Soviets in the Cold War. But today we find ourselves dangerously adrift at home and disconnected from allies abroad that made so many of those triumphs possible. The world wonders how the United States will survive Donald Trump. And I ask, what will finally move Republicans to deliver a non-negotiable ultimatum to this unstable president? Will they dare place their country's interests above their own political fears? Or will they only move to end this American tragedy when there is nothing left to lose. And, uh, Joe, I would posit to you that uh, they're not going to do this until their own political interests line up with what you say the country's interests are. Yeah, and, you know, Gene Robinson, you wonder if they wait until the party is wiped out in 2018. You wonder yeah. if they wait until 400,000 people are dead on the Korean Peninsula, uh, including maybe 50,000 to 100,000 Americans, you wonder exactly what's going to make Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan stop stop fearing uh, a segment of their base uh, back home or a segment right. of their members. You just what exactly will it take? You have this is extraordinary. This has never happened in American history before. You have the national secure. For, forget all of his staff members that are already. Uh, have already pled guilty and are cooperating or are out on $10 million bail. You now have his current national security advisor, his secretary of state, uh, his treasury secretary, uh, Gary Cohn, uh, everybody around him saying that he's not fit to be president of the United States. I have been saying for some time now, for over a year, that you had people running his campaign who believed that he was in a state of pre-dementia. You have reports now that, that over the holiday weekend, he was in Mar-a-Lago, heavily made up, repeating himself, not recognizing people. I, what is a triggering event? Because I've got to say, throughout most of history, the triggering event would have already occurred. What exactly will force Republicans, if not to remove him from office, to go there and say, Mr. President, you have two weeks. 
You have yeah. two weeks to stop tweeting. You have two weeks to start acting responsibly. You have two weeks to start acting rationally. You have two weeks to stop threatening nuclear war. You have two weeks to begin to filling out these cabinet agencies. You have two weeks to begin, begin acting like a sane and rational human being, or we will take the action that every Fortune 500 company, every college university, every public interest group, every high school football team would take, and we will move to get you out of office or recommend to the cabinet that you do that. Why can't the Republicans do that when so much is at stake? Well, um, that's, you know, the, the most important question before yeah, us right now. And, and the answer, I, I've, look, I've, I despair that they will ever do that. Um, uh, I would, uh, at this point, uh, I wish they would just uh, uh, fulfill their constitutional responsibility. Congress can uh, can constrain and restrain an out-of-control president in various ways. Congress has the, the power to investigate, uh, to uh, the power of oversight, the power of the purse, um, uh, and uh, can do a lot of things uh, to exert pressure on, on a president and try to keep him uh, between the guard rails, but this Congress won't do its job and won't do its duty, and I I see no reason to expect that to change. I, look, I think the duty of the American people is in November to elect a Congress that will, and let's hope we get to November, um, but, yeah. but to elect a Congress that will, uh, and uh, this is not in terms of partisanship, they can be Democrats, they can be Republicans, they can be independents, whatever they are, that they're, that they're patriots. That they that they are willing to do what clearly uh, is their job, their constitutional role right now in this extraordinary situation. All right, Gene Robinson, thank you so much, and we'll of course be reading your column in the Washington Post. David Ignatius, uh, quickly, um, you know, I wrote about uh, the gains that we have made as a country over the past century with the help of allies. Um, but how, what happens if we continue on this trajectory for another two or three years uh, to everything, all, all of the alliances and organizations that we created after defeating Hitler? Um, what happens with the power dynamic between China and the United States if China is handed the advantages over the last three years that Donald Trump has ceded to them over the past year? What does the next president of the United States do? How does the next president unring these bells? The structure of American power that Donald Trump and Steve Bannon very deliberately set out to try to deconstruct uh, is weaker. They have had some success over the last year. U.S. alliances are weaker than they've been in my memory. Our, our relationships with key traditional allies, Britain, Germany, uh, not where they sh should be, and, and China in particular is moving aggressively to take the place that the United States has held in the world since, since 1945. Is this damage going to be permanent? Uh, will it, will it, can it be repaired by a, a president who follows Donald Trump? That's the question we're, we're all wondering. I just would know one thing, Joe. 
Our military is around the world. It's in relationships with every major military. It, it continues to exercise, uh, share information, plan. Same thing with our intelligence agency. It's the biggest, most powerful intelligence agency in the world. It conducts liaison every single day. Somebody comes to visit Mike Pompeo at his headquarters from a foreign intelligence service, and they talk. And so the structure of American power is pretty durable. And it's, although it's getting these terrible attacks in this period from, from the White House, I, I think we should understand that there's a lot of momentum that continues. All right, David Ignatius, thank you so much. Also, uh, enjoyed reading your column in the Washington Post this morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, and Heidi, what are you going to be reporting on today on the Hill? Well, I have a story out today, actually, Joe, on White House officials who briefed me yesterday on the president's plan to meet with congressional leaders at Camp David this weekend. The president's trying to start out 2018, Joe, the way that many analysts think he should have began 2017, which is on a populist economic proposal of his own infrastructure. He spent 2017 on taxes, Obamacare repeal. That is ripped straight from the traditional Republican playbook. So what I'm told by White House officials that is that when he he gets congressional leaders in that room. He's going to say to them, look, Mitch McConnell, I know you have your own priority this year, which is a two-year spending bill. Look, Paul Ryan, I know you have your own priority, which is entitlement reform. But this is my priority, and this is 2018, and this is what you're going to do. However, there's a big stumbling block here, Joe, and that is funding. Where are they going to get the money for this infrastructure proposal? You go down the line, the tax bill that created a $1 trillion deficit, the repatriation money as part of that tax bill that Trump's own economic advisors had talked about using towards infrastructure, gone to lower corporate rates. And here we are talking about approving $81 billion in new spending on hurricane relief. So I don't know how they're going to get even some of these red state Democrats necessarily to go along with what should have been, many argue, in 2017, his top priority. All right. We'll see you this weekend. Heidi, thank you so much. Mark Leibovich, as always, thank you as well. It's always great to have you on the show. All right. And still ahead on Morning Joe, Michael Wolf is speaking out to NBC News this morning about the president's reaction to his new book. He wants to know, quote, where do I send the box of chocolates for helping him sell so many copies? Plus, Steve Bannon's comments have certainly cost him some allies. The White House says maybe it should cost him his job at Breitbart, too. Not so fast. I'm sure the two will be speaking by midweek. NBC's Peter Alexander is with us live with more reaction from the West Wing. That's coming up next on Morning Joe. Thanks for checking out. Hi, everybody. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. You 
you wanna sleep and say what you wanna say. Let the children play while they wanna play and work when you wanna work. Fight when you wanna play. Oh, that's freedom, freedom. Nancy Pelosi to Speaker Ryan. Devin Nunes must go. I agree. I think this guy should go. His deliberately dishonest actions make him unfit to serve. And I totally agree with that. This guy is, uh, even Devin Nunes, even the people in his district, he's, Devin, in case you don't know who he, who he is, and I don't see how anybody could not. If they're, you know, they're following what's going on, this debacle that's going on in Washington, uh, he is a, okay, in a, in a harsh rebuke of representative, he's a representative, he's a, he's a Republican, of course, House Minority, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, she's in the minority because the Republicans, they don't control anything. She sent a letter to Speaker Paul Ryan. And he's also a Republican. He's a spineless clown, but he's a Republican, uh, demanding that Nunes step down from his position as chairman of the House of Intelligence uh, Committee. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Republicans are not going to. uh, I mean, Nunes is their best uh, defense against Robert Mueller, the special counsel into the uh, 2016 elections meddling of Russia. And Nunes is one of the people who uh, co-authored a memo crucifying the FBI with the White House that they are set to release. They haven't released it yet. They were talking about releasing it yesterday or, or earlier, but they have not released it yet. And I'm, I've got a feeling the reason why they have not released this package of lies, as I call them, out into the public is because they know the public is not going to buy this. This is going to turn on them. This is going to backfire on them, trying to lie their way out of this investigation that Bob Mueller, is, uh, the special counsel, is, is investigating now that is underway. 
you know, these people, these Republicans, Donald Trump and his goons, these folks are something else. I mean, I never seen such corruption, such in your face obstruction. You know, these guys, you know, Trump is guilty because he's constantly trying to obstruct this investigation time and time and time and more times after that. Okay, Thursday letter comes a day after Nunes was accused of making material changes, lies, to a secret memo before it was sent to, to the president for public release. So he's lying in this memo that is supposed to. This memo is actually a memo, as I said, uh, bad-mouthing the FBI to the world, to the world. I mean, bad-mouthing the FBI. The Republicans control everything. The House, the White House, the legislature, they control all uh, three branches of government, even the judicial branch. Why do they feel they have to, to lie on one of their agencies? This is this. This, the FBI belongs to Donald Trump. Donald Trump is over. Why is because they're guilty? Um, there should be a 50-foot trailer truck pulling up to the White House and to the um, Congress on Capitol Hill and just busload all of them criminals out in leg irons and handcuffs to jail because this is more than just Donald Trump. This is so many of those representatives and senators who are carrying water for Trump, trying to protect him from prosecution, indictment, subpoenas. As we all know, he well deserved because he is a crook. Uh, okay. Thursday's letter comes a day after Nunes was accused of making material changes to a secret memo before it was sent to the president for release. The memo reportedly accuses the Justice Department, the Justice Department and the FBI of inappropriately surveilling Trump campaign advisor Carter Page, which is a total lie. Democrats have called the memo misleading. Stop using the word misleading and just call it what it is, lying. And in a rare public move, public move, the FBI warned that the memo withholds key facts. Of course it does. You think Trump is going to say anything positive about the FBI when the FBI is investigating his crooked ass? You think? No. But I do know this, if Trump goes and releases this memo and it's full of lies about the FBI because they're, they are uh, investigating him uh, for collusion, I think, I think he's finished. I think he's through. And if he's releasing this memo with all these lies about the FBI, to try to convince the American people that he's innocent, <laughs> it's not going to work. Because, I mean, if Trump was innocent, and we all know he's not, but if he were innocent, would he be obstructing justice? Would he be trying
trying to convince us that there was no collusion when we know there was. A lot of people feel that Trump and Russia together are trying to take down America. Some people are calling Trump a Russian spy. Some people are saying that he and Putin want America. I don't know uh, how much of this is true or if any of it's true, but I do know we are in some dark times. And it's a shame because, as I've said on the show yesterday, America has fallen in its standing in the world. And these Republicans and Donald Trump, they just keep on lying. They keep on trying to hoodwink the American people. Today, Donald, Donald Trump said that during his State of the Union address, he had the highest television ratings of any other State of the Union uh, by any other president, which is another lie. That's one thing about Donald Trump. I mean, he lies and he keeps on lying. There is something wrong mentally with this guy. There must be some sort of dementia creeping in on this man. This man is out of his freaking mind to say that there were millions and millions and millions of Americans that did not watch the State of the Union speech. There were millions of Americans swearing that they would not watch it because they didn't want to hear more lies. Neither did I. I didn't watch it. So I know he's lying about having the highest uh, TV ratings of any other president uh, during the uh, State of the Union address. And a lot of us know he's lying because a lot of us, we didn't watch it. But that's Trump. Trump is all about Trump. He's all about looking good. And I don't know who he's trying to hoodwink with lying, probably his base, his dwindling base, his dwindling supporters, because a lot of people aren't, aren't, uh, 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 aren't with Trump anymore. But you know what? He doesn't care. He wants to be a dictator. He wants to be Hitler number two. But I don't think the Republicans, uh, a lot of people are, are, I mean, there's people out here who are saying a lot of dire things about the Republicans and where they're going to trying to take America. But I don't think the Republicans are going to do too much right now. You know why? I don't think they're going to do a lot right now, like Social Security, cutting Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps. I don't think they're going to do a lot of things in terms of hurting Americans, not at this point. It's coming in the near in the near future, but not at this point. The reason why I say that is because the midterms are coming up. They don't want to do nothing to us to upset Americans right now because the midterms are coming up. And they don't want to lose a lot of these guys and girls do not want to lose their jobs. So they're saying if, if Republicans can can weather the storm and get their jobs back during the midterm elections and Trump somehow survives impeachment and jail time, then it will happen. They, I think uh, after the midterms, if the Republicans are lucky enough to get back in office, they're really going to do some damage 
uh, to the United States. But we know that's not going to happen. But still, in order, I don't think they're going to really try to do nothing really, really drastic uh, to the country right now because they're in a fight for their jobs. And a lot of Republicans are jumping ship because either they don't want to work with Trump, they don't want to work under Trump, or either they are trying to avoid jail time. But, I mean, even if Republicans are jumping ship and quitting their jobs in the House of Representatives and in, in the Senate, if, if they are complicit in Donald Trump's crimes, whether they are quitting their jobs or they're, uh, and going into retirement or whatever, they will still be arrested for treason against their own country for violating the Constitution of the United States. And, you know, this is very true. This is very true. And Nunes should, he should resign. All right, Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, uh, in the, the Democratic House leader blasted Nunes in her letter saying that the California Republican has dis disgraced the House Intelligence Committee. And he has, trying to throw lies out there to the public, to the American public. It, it, and she goes on to say, it has now come to our attention that Congressman Nunes deliberately and materially altered the contents of the memo since it was voted on by the House of Representatives, Pelosi said. This action is not only dangerous, it is illegitimate and violates House rules. I'm glad that the Democrats are watching these guys and calling them out you know obviously trump and the republicans they're going to deny this congressman nunes deliberately uh dishonest actions make him unfit to serve as chairman and he must be removed immediately from his position she said which i totally agree i mean devin nunes even back, as I said earlier, even back in his own district, they're saying the same thing. This guy should get out. I'm pretty sure he will. But that will not stop him from going to jail. And if this memo is released with all of these factual lies in it, and if Trump does release this with all these factual lies, he will be impeached. Because he will be uh, the one who will sign and have this stuff released out to the public. Public, However, the majority of the voting public who did not vote for Trump will not believe a thing in this memo, will not believe anything that they, they're saying negative about the FBI that's in this memo. It will backfire on Donald Trump like, every else, like everything else does. And he will have to lie his way out, like he always does. Well, he lies. I don't think he really lies his way out because we're not to believe anything he says. I mean, you take the State of the Union uh, speech if you watched it. I didn't watch it. From my, from, from my understanding, it was full of lies. The only people who um, um, gave it any credence are his, you know, his, uh, his staff, the Republicans. The people who are kissing his ass. Like he's king, like he's an emperor. Donald Trump is no king. He is not Hitler. 
And I don't think America is going down the tubes because of it. We're just going to have to get these people out in the midterms, November uh, 6, 2018, in the midterms, get some Democrats in there and turn this ship back around. So if anybody's out there scared to death, worried, panicky, you should be. But still in all, still in all, you've got your vote. Use it. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people out here who did not vote, wish they had voted now. I tried to tell everybody a couple of years ago, it, it, it somehow uh, people did not listen or they didn't care. I understand people who have religion and their religion won't let them vote, but <laughs> you gotta you gotta do something. You have to do something. But anyway, you know these guys are gone in in the midterms. There's no doubt about it. Trump knows he's done. I don't know if Trump is gonna make make it to the midterms or not. But as I've said before, uh, leading up to the midterms, Trump is if Trump is still in office, leading up to the midterms, he can do a lot of damage on top of the damage that he's done already. But still in all, we have the vote, we have the power, we are Americans. We can vote these scoundrels out. But as I've written, impeachment is not good enough for Trump. I mean, there's, I mean I've been yelling impeachment for this, for this guy for a long time. But then I started to think about it. Impeachment is not good enough. Trump needs to go to jail. And this is the only uh, action, I believe, that is going to heal America. So you can start telling your children or the young people again that when you grow up, you can be anything that you want to be, even the president of the United States. Right now, with this current climate of Donald Trump and the uh, complicit Republicans, I don't think a kid in America or around, or around the world would want to grow up to be president of the United States, not with this current climate. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, we have been talking about Donald Trump. I mean, it, this is the news of the day, folks. And I just have to cover it because then I just have to get my feelings out there because um, th- this is just awful. <laughs> we're in some trying times here and uh, we're just going to have to find our way out of this. What's the biggest factor when voters go to the polls tomorrow? Joining us now to talk about that are CNN political commentator Ed Martin, who supports Moore, and Alan Navarro, a CNN political commentator who opposes Moore's candidacy. Great to have both of you. So, Good morning. Um, Ed, you yeah. support Roy Moore. I mean, you just you heard bet. Chris delineate all of those positions. <laughs> are you comfortable that um, America was great, he thought, when we had slavery, because that's when families are. I'm Keith Olbermann, and this is The Resistance. I'm confident now, even more so than I have been throughout the last year, that this nightmare presidency of Donald John Trump will end prematurely and end soon, and I am thus also confident that this is the correct moment to end this series of commentaries. The important stuff first. 
There are seven routes in front of Trump. Each inevitably ends in his impeachment or resignation. The first, the likeliest, became a thousand times more likely with the Thanksgiving news of a possible deal between Robert Mueller and General Michael Flynn. As I reported here as long ago as April 4th, the most specifically qualified expert alive on the subject of prosecuting a president, my friend, the Nixon White House counsel John Dean, put it to me very simply. Mueller is not shooting down. Mueller does not make a deal with Flynn to get Paul Manafort. He does not make a deal with Flynn to get Jared Kushner. He does not make a deal with Flynn to get Trump Jr. Mueller makes a deal with Flynn to get Donald Trump. Period. The Flynn deal report suggests Mueller has completely assembled the backbone of his case and is now just hanging the meat from it. And just as importantly, if Flynn has merely considered a deal from Mueller, it almost necessarily means Flynn either doesn't believe he would get a pardon from Trump or that Mueller, as I've also reported here, has succeeded in finding a way around Trump's pardon power. And either of these near certainties spell Trump's doom. So that's the most obvious of the seven ways for Trump to go now. Mueller really will get him on Russia. It will be ugly and it will tear this country nearly apart, but it will be necessary. The second way is, as I've also repeatedly suggested here, that Mueller doesn't really need to prove anything about Trump and Russian sabotage of the election. There seems to be so much obstruction of justice from the firing of James Comey to the lies about Trump Jr.'s meetings with the Russians, that it's hard to pick out a key player in the Trump inner circle who could not be guilty of it. Trump could be impeached on just obstruction of justice and a few lesser charges. Nixon was about to be. Or there is a third way. We could be spared the trauma of a Russia impeachment or an obstruction of justice impeachment, as we were spared it with Nixon, if Trump is smart or just sufficiently scared enough, and he resigns, or if he isn't, those around him who could still sell themselves by selling him out will force him to resign. A modified version of this, of course, is the fourth possible outcome, that even if Mueller is months away from his denouement, the Republicans will impeach or remove Trump by spring purely to save their own asses. The state elections in Virginia and Oklahoma earlier this month show what could face Republican incumbents nationwide next November. Not only were Democratic victories overwhelming, but half of them were little morality plays. The 26-year-old lesbian beats the Republican in the district Trump won by nearly 40 points a year ago. The transgendered candidate in Virginia beats the guy who wrote an anti-equality bathroom bill. The boyfriend of a news reporter shot to death on camera beats the Republican pro-NRA candidate. I'll say it again. Richard Nixon was not forced out of office by Democrats, not really even by Watergate. Democrats controlled the Senate and the House. Every day Richard Nixon was president. They could have impeached him at any point. He resigned when the leading Republicans went into the White House and told him that not only would he be impeached and convicted, but he would take all of them down with him and they were not going to let him do that. So that's the fourth way out. Trump becomes more of an albatross to Republicans and, more importantly, more of a rallying cry to Democrats, and the Republicans remove him before the midterms and then, boastfully, run for re-election on having removed him. The fifth endgame is the same thing, only faster. The Republicans around him pull off that palace coup that is perfectly legal under the 25th Amendment, and Mike Pence and Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell eject Trump by simply stating he is unfit 
and getting their majorities to agree he's unfit. And if you don't think Pence and Ryan and McConnell would do that, you didn't see Trump's crazy tweet about the Man of the Year award or this thing in front of the Native Americans on Monday. And you, you don't know Pence and Ryan and McConnell. The sixth means by which Trump leaves early is, of course, that if the Republicans don't impeach Trump before the midterms, the Democrats will be able to after the midterms. If Virginia and New Jersey and Oklahoma are indicators, the Democrats could take the House and might need as few as 25 vulnerable Republicans in the Senate to vote guilty to remove Trump from office. But now there is a seventh new path to destruction for Trump, and it has bubbled up from the sewer of his life recently. And even with how Teflon he has been on this particular subject, it seems hard to believe the dam won't break. His sexual conduct, as not one snowball, but a decade's worth of them, have come down that hill, wiping out all the sleaze bags and emboldening and empowering the victims. It seems impossible to believe that some claimant somewhere does not have tangible evidence against Trump and that they won't say to hell with it and break one of those non-disclosure agreements and Trump will suddenly be envying Harvey Weinstein. Trump himself inadvertently has hinted at this. The New York Times buried the lead on this over the weekend, but it reported that earlier this year, Trump told a senator that the Access Hollywood pussy grabber tape was a fake. And he has said the same thing again recently to a White House staffer. He's obviously trying to work the refs of public opinion in advance for whatever is coming next, from a woman here or from Russia. So, I don't see any way out for Trump. Seven freight trains rushing at him. He might avoid a few. He might avoid six of them. He's not going to dance his way out from under all seven. And we, I think, should try to put ourselves in the mindset of those Americans who knew Richard Nixon was guilty as hell after John Dean finished testifying on June 27, 1973. But we're all left wondering if there would ever be a way to prove it. And we're left listening to a majority of the country saying Dean was lying and left watching nearly the entirety of the gullible news media saying this was nonsense. Why would a president, even one as crazy as Nixon, ever do this? And more importantly, even if he were somehow guilty, how would he ever be dumb enough to leave any evidence of his guilt? And 16 days later, it turned out Virtually everything in the Oval Office had been taped, and the ballgame was over, even though it would last another 13 months. Well, this ballgame is also over, and I don't think it's going to last another 13 months. And so this series is over. This was intended as something temporary, a two-month project by somebody who had given up politics. And instead it became 187 commentaries and around 225,000 words and something approaching 400 million views. And I am proud of it, and I repudiate none of it, and it has been my privilege to do it, and I'm especially proud to have done these videos for free and for charity. But frankly, I have not enjoyed one minute of it. As I'm certain it has also been for you, for me, it has been unadulterated pain and revulsion and horror. The process has become nearly 24-7, and I've said so much that I can and have recycled old commentaries from months ago, and they have been fully applicable to breaking news. We've come full circle to such a complete degree that on Sunday, Trump tweeted a complaint about, quote, Russia, Russia, Russia. The title of the 46th episode of The Resistance from last March 14th was, quote, Russia, Russia, Russia. I've made my point. 
So now that I think the outcomes, the seven different inevitable outcomes are unavoidable, I'd like to go back and enjoy some of my life again, and I'm going to. No illness, no scandal, no firing, just I've said what I've had to say. It was as obvious as I made it seem. I give my work everything I can, so it's not like I can dial it back. And I think even this dim-witted world of American political TV reporting, which is still calculating how to get Trump's idiot supporters to watch their networks and still waiting for Trump to pivot, even it can carry this the rest of the way. So I am retiring from political commentary in all media venues. This is not to say a bed of roses and reconciliation awaits us. The post-Trump America will be relieved of his prodigious evil, but in its place it will have Trump as living martyr. That prodigious evil and rank hypocrisy and immorality of his supporters, perhaps a third of us, will not vanish with him, and I'm not sure that the democracy has not been damaged too much to deal with their lawless, unprincipled rebellion, and I do not see this country's politics truly healing in the next 30 or 40 years. But at least the bleeding will be staunched. And we will have a chance to alter a phrase I heard somewhere to make America, America again. Thank you for all the kind words and all the support. Have fun storming the castle. My work here is done. Uh, It's tough to see you go, Keith. Resist. Hopefully. Remove. (laughs) Hopefully. uh, Ladies and gentlemen, the George Wilder Jr. Show has now arrived.
depressing. Uh, very depressing. So, you know, you can make a comedy about it and get it all out. Be it too. Yeah, uh, was it exactly the... No, can you make fun of the effects of aging in, in real life? Yeah, you can make fun of it. I mean, sometimes you have... Yeah, you can. Um, it's, it's kind of a, it's a given. There's nothing you can do about it, so you might as well make fun of it. I, I'm not thinking of anything specific, but yeah, sure. And, uh, I think it's interesting when people... When you walk down the street and you see younger people, and they're all around you and they ignore you, they kind of see the peripheral vision, sees that you're older and not their generation, or maybe two generations or two and a half generations older than they are. So they're not even interested, unless if they see me or they recognize either, they're not, they're curious, you know, of yeah. course. But otherwise, the peripheral of what the gray hair and all that, they, they just, uh, that's interesting. You kind of, so that you become part of another another class of person, if you will. And it's an Second class. <laughs> you guys, the best thing ever happened to me. Tonight, we're going to party like it's 1959. Bring out the bottles! No, I don't see any advantages. Uh, I, I don't like it. I don't see any... I guess the only advantage I see is you're more comfortable with yourself. You don't have to prove anything. Um, you, accept, you accept who you are, uh, I think, more... We were talking, both of us have younger children. It's nice to be able to have the time, you know, to spend to spend with them. It's easy to give. It's not an effort to want to, you know. Perhaps you've noticed we no longer have old people in this country. They're all gone now, replaced by senior citizens. Somehow we wound up with millions of these unfortunate creatures known as golden agers or mature adults. These are cold, lifeless, antiseptic terms, typically American, all ways of sidestepping the fear of aging. And it's not difficult to understand the fear of aging. It's natural, and it's universal. No one wants to get old. No one wants to die. But we do. We die. And we don't like that. So we shade the truth. I started doing it when I reached my 40s. I'd look in the mirror at that time and think, well, I guess I'm getting older. That sounded a little better than old. Sounded like it might even last a bit longer. But people forget that older is comparative, and they use it as an absolute. She's an older woman. Oh, really? Older than what? Than she used to be? Well, yeah. So? People think getting old is bad because they think being old is bad. But you know something? Being old is just fine. In fact, it can be terrific. And anyway, it's one of those things you don't get to choose. It's not optional. But that insufferable group among us known as baby boomers, ages 42 through 59, as of 2005, are beginning to get old. And they're having trouble dealing with that. Remember, these baby boomers are the ones who gave us this soft, politically correct language in the first place. So rather than admit they're getting old, the baby boomers have come up with a new term to describe themselves as they approach the grave. They don't care for middle-aged. So instead, get this, folks. Instead, they claim to be pre-elderly. Don't you love that? Pre-elderly. It's a real word. You don't hear it a lot, but it's out there. The boomers claim that if you're between 50 and 65, you're pre-elderly. But I'd be willing to bet 
that in 2011, when they begin turning 65, they will not be calling themselves elderly. I have a hunch they'll come up with some new way of avoiding reality. And I have a suggestion for them. They should call themselves the pre-dead. It's a perfect term because for them, it's accurate and it's highly descriptive. By the way, those ever clever boomers have also come up with a word to describe the jobs they feel are most suitable for retired people who wish to keep working. They call these jobs elder-friendly. Isn't that sad? God, that's just really, really sad. And so, to sum it up, we have these senior citizens. And whether I like that phrase or not, unfortunately, I got used to it and I no longer react too violently when I hear it. But there is still one description for old people that I'll never accept. That's when I hear someone describe an old guy as being, for instance, 80 years young. Even though I know it's tongue-in-cheek, it makes my skin crawl. It's overly cute and precious, and it's an evasion. It's junk language. On CBS's 60 Minutes, Leslie Stahl, God help her, actually referred to some old man as being a 90-something. Please, Leslie, I need a small personal break here. One last pathetic example in this category. On the radio, I heard Matt Drudge actually refer to people of age. And he wasn't being sarcastic. He said the West Nile virus is a particular threat to people of age. Poor Matt. Apparently, he's more fucked up than he seems. Now, going to an adjacent subject, one unfortunate fact of life for many of these 80 or 90-somethings is that they're forced to live in places where they'd rather not be. Old people's homes. So what name should we use for these places where we hide our old people? When I was a little boy, there was a building in my neighborhood called the Home for the Aged. It had a copper sign on the gate home for the aged. It always looked deserted. I never saw anyone go in. Naturally, I never saw anyone come out either. Later, I noticed people started calling those places nursing homes and rest homes. Apparently, it was decided that some of these old people needed nurses, while others just needed a little rest. What you hear them called now is retirement homes or long-term care facilities. There's another one of those truly bloodless terms long-term care facility. But actually, it makes sense to give it a name like that, because if you do, you make it a lot easier for the person you're putting in there to acquiesce and cooperate with you. I remember old people used to tell their families, whatever you do, don't put me in a home. Please, don't put me in a home. But it's hard to imagine one of them saying, whatever you do, don't put me in a long-term care facility. So calling it that is really a trick. Come on, Grandpa, it's not a home. It's a long-term care facility. By the way, while we're on this subject of the language of getting old, I want to tell you something that happened to me in New York on a recent evening. I was standing in line at the Carnegie Deli to pay my check, and there was a guy ahead of me who looked like he was in his 60s. He gave the cashier a $10 bill, but apparently it wasn't enough. When the cashier mentioned it to him in a nice way, he said, Oh, I'm sorry, I guess I had a senior moment. And I thought how sad that was. To blame a simple mistake on the fact that you're in your 60s, even if you're just sort of joking. 
as if anyone would think a 20-year-old couldn't make the same mistake. I only mention this because it's an example of how people can brainwash themselves by adopting popular language. I wanted to pull him aside and say, listen, I just heard you refer to yourself as a senior, and I wanted to ask, were you by any chance a junior last year? Because if you weren't a junior last year, then you're not a senior this year. I wanted to say it, but I figured, why would he listen to me? After all, I'm still a freshman. <laughs> all right, George Carlin. All right, the late George Carlin. Uh, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg speaks about the media and Jewish life in America. That should go well. All right, House Intelligence Committee Chairman has emerged as one of the President's, President Trump's most effective allies for his ability to confuse and distract. We all said that, but this is a distraction. Devin Nunes is acting like he's in a spy thriller. Yeah, the, you know, this, this is crazy. Um, uh, Nancy Pelosi, the uh, minority speaker in the House, wants this guy out. The people in his district of his home state wants him out. Because all he's doing is carrying water for Donald Trump and trying to release a lot of lies in this memo bashing the FBI. And former FBI director James Comey is having none of it. And I'm quoting him here. He says, in the long run, weasels and liars, weasels and liars, this, those are his words, not mine, never hold, will never hold the field, he tweets. Weasels and liars. Who do you think he's directing weasels and liars at? Of course, Donald Trump and those who are carrying water for Donald Trump, kissing Donald Trump's ass, like Devin Nunes, Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, and others. And I'm proud that James Comey has spoken out, even though 2016 he came up with some stuff at the very last minute that could have caused cause Hillary Clinton, the election. So James Comey could be the blame for why we have Donald Trump. But all that aside, he is totally against Donald Trump. He is not a fan of Donald Trump. Donald Trump fired him. Now, if Hillary Clinton would have gotten elected until he meddled, uh, he may still have his job. And he probably realizes that now, but it's too late. But anyway, he came out uh, speaking against Donald Trump. And I think more people, more Democrats should come out and speak against Donald Trump, Devin Nunes, uh, spineless Paul Ryan, grit mouth uh, Mitch McConnell. Come out and, and just speak your mind and say what the hell you have to say. Speak against Sarah Sanders, uh, Kellyanne Conway, all of these folks who are lying through their teeth for their boss who is a pathological liar. And folks, this is uh, something. America has never gone through this before. And none of this seems to bother Trump. None of this. I mean, he takes the heat. Wow. Uh, 
you know, I heard him say one day, well, I'll take the heat. I'll take the heat. And he takes it. He takes the heat and keeps on lying. Keeps on lying. He's more than just a pathological liar. Something is wrong inside of his head. Nobody, I've known, nobody in the history of the world lies as much as Trump. The more he lies, he still lies. The more you think he can't lie anymore, he still lies. He finds a lie to tell somewhere. He's the most corrupt president, the most thuggish president, the most uh, uneducated president, the most uninformed president, the most president that doesn't give a damn about anything or anybody but himself. He's cashing in on the presidency. Businesses, golfing, the most president, the the most uh, president that has taken uh, vacations, golfing, doing nothing. He watches he he watches television, eats hamburgers and and stuff like that, French fries, and they, and his doctor's going to tell us that he's in perfect health. Now. Nobody believes that. His doctor was paid off, paid off to say those things, just like everybody else was paid off, especially those women who were accusing him of sexual harassment. We don't hear from them anymore because they've been paid off and told to shut up. Donald Trump gets away with it. But you know what? I don't think, when I think about it, I don't really think Donald Trump is getting away with anything. I think one day down into the future, all of this stuff is going to come down on him really hard. There is no other place that Donald Trump deserves to be but prison. There is no other place. He has done so much damage to America. And Nancy Pelosi is saying, what has the what do, excuse me, what do the Russians have on Donald Trump? That's the question all Americans have. What do they have? What do these Russians have on Donald Trump? He still hasn't shown his taxes. We don't know what they we don't know if he's a millionaire or a billionaire or if he just have a few bucks tax of taxpayer money. I'm pretty sure he has that. We don't know anything about Donald Trump. We know that he conned and lied and bullshitted his way into the White House. And now we're paying for it big time. Donald Trump is going to continue to do damage to the United States as long as he's at the helm. When will the Republicans wake up and get him out? Never, because they are complicit. They are a part of this. They are aiders and abettors to his crimes and their own crimes. However, uh, closer to the midterms where their ass is going to be voted out, we're going to hear all kinds of excuses. You know, they might get rid of Donald Trump. That's uh, that's the only way that they, I think, they are going to save their asses. But even if they decide to impeach Donald Trump, I still think there will be a blue wave. I think uh, the Democrats are going to control the House and the, the House and the Senate. This way, they will and can impeach Donald Trump where the Republicans have failed. And they can also impeach 
any representative or senator uh, that still uh, will be in Congress after the midterms who are complicit in Donald Trump's crimes. So all we have to do is just hang in there, hang in there, and things will get better. Let's hope, because I don't, let's hope. Uh, I just think making the FBI your enemy is is one of the wrong ways to go. I mean, you don't make the FBI and the American press your enemy, as Donald Trump has. These two agencies, whether the, uh, they work for you or not, they can take you down. They can take you out. You do not mess with the FBI, the Department of Justice. Thousands of, I mean, this that agency has thousands of employees, and just about every one of those employees more likely hates Donald Trump. And the majority of them are probably or were Republicans. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio.
stay warm if, if the weather is uh, cold or bad weather, stay warm. And I want to thank you for listening to, to the George Blondo Jr. Show. We will be off for the week uh, next Monday, uh, the following Monday, and we will have a brand new show with great guests. Bye-bye, everybody. Have a great weekend. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.